all authority is has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Make disciples of all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them everything that I have commanded you. Not only that part they want to know about, not only that part that tells them how much they loved or they're loved, but all things, teach them all things that I have commanded you to teach. Now, during the year, we do a, a lot of teaching. I do a lot of teaching, not only on Sundays, but I do a lot of teaching in Bible studies and in other venues that I have to all of you, sometimes in writing. And we spend a lot of time during the year speaking about God, and we talk about God as the Father, and we talk about God as Jesus, and we talk about God about the Holy Spirit. We talk about all three of them. In fact, every time we say the Nicene Creed, which is at every one of our Eucharistic services, we claim we believe in God the Father, we believe in Jesus, and we believe in the Holy Spirit. Every time I conclude the service, I bless you. And I bless you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And it has become well known, I hope, to all of you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We repeat those terms quite often. We are told to baptize in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But today, I think it's essential that we speak not only about them individually and what they each do, but that we speak of how we have come to understand and know God as a holy trinity, as a holy triune God. And I have to acknowledge from the very beginning that the word trinity is not in the Bible. As a word, it is nowhere in Scripture at all. However, the teaching that comes with the Trinity is in Scripture, and it's essential for Christianity. To the point that St. Athanasius, 
in his Athanasian Creed opens up by saying that unless you believe what is there in that creed, you are actually not part of the Catholic or the universal Christian church. The teaching of the Trinity is essential to our confession of who God is. And it is essential to our belief. So that if you do not believe in the Holy Trinity, you are truly not a Christian. And you are outside of the beliefs of the Catholic Universal Church. Not the Roman Catholic, but the Catholic Universal Church from the very beginning. The belief in the Trinity is essential. And yet, it is imperative that I say that it remains a mystery of how it all is and works. And, the, and, and it is a mystery not because God doesn't want to reveal it. But it is a mystery in that my puny mind cannot comprehend it. The problem is not with God. The problem is with me. I can only comprehend as much as God has been able to reveal to me. But whatever else he has not revealed will be revealed when I get to see him face to face. In the meantime, I believe what scripture reveals. We can talk about God in three persons. And when we talk about God as a person or a three persons, let me say that we are not saying and I am not saying that God has arms and legs and, and, and a body and any of that stuff. When we say that God is three in persons, we say that God in each of its of these entities that we call Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has all the attributes and characteristics of what makes a person a person. In other words, has personality. Has the ability, all three of the persons of the Trinity have the ability to think, to reason, to act, to create, to speak, etc. Things that, for example, the force of gravity doesn't have, the centrifugal force doesn't have, or any other of the other forces of this life do not have personality or personhood. You understand? So when I say the three persons of the Trinity, I'm speaking about the three individuals in the Trinity that have the characteristics of personhood, as we know in Scripture. So what do we know about God the Father? Just to review a little bit. What do we know for certain from the revelation of God about God the Father? First of all, we all know that He's Creator. Amen? Nothing that's ever been created has been created without God. Nothing exists that has life. And even those things that do not have life were created by God. Matter was created by God. 
and it doesn't have life. We say in the creed that we believe in one God, the Almighty, the Father, the Almighty, the Maker of heaven and earth, and of all that is, seen and unseen. Please don't forget that comma. He is the creator of all that is seen and unseen. We also know that God the Father is a relational God. Amen? I, I have to say to you, God didn't have to create the world. I think God had enough fellowship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And the revelation of God is that the fellowship among them is sufficient. From eternity unto eternity. God did not create the world because He had to. God created the world because He wanted to have you and I and be in relationship with us. One of the beautiful things about God is that He did not create the world and walked away just to watch it work itself out. From the very beginning of the words of Scripture, we find a God that enters creation, that communes with Adam and Eve, that has a relationship with Adam and Eve. Even after Adam and Eve broke the relationship, God didn't say, well, fooey on you all, go to hell. He did not. God constantly continued to be involved in the world, continued to, to try and rescue the lost, continued to send prophets and sages, continued to reveal Himself, seeking to draw us unto Him and repent of our sins. And eventually, no greater revelation do we find in Jesus Christ, who came into this world strictly to look for the lost and to save it. You know, Jesus didn't come into the world to heal. If He had come into the world to heal, He would have healed everybody. Jesus came into the world to give life. To give life to the dead, that whosoever believe in Him will never, ever die. But would have eternal life. And that He accomplished. Fully, completely. And satisfactorily. God is a relational God that wants to have an intimate relationship with you. Individually and collectively. God wants to walk with you in the garden. God wants to walk with you in your wilderness. God wants to walk with you in your joy. God wants to walk with you in your sorrow. God wants to walk with you at all times because He seeks a relational, a relationship with you. He loves you that much. The other thing we know about God is that He's a covenantal God. He's a God that entered into an agreement into a covenant with the creation, with you, His creatures. I will be your God, you will be my people. And He sealed the covenant in the New Testament with the blood of Jesus Christ. A God that has a covenant, a promise for you and for me. We are 
covenantal people with our God. And then we know that God is a guiding God. The whole reason for the whole Bible is so that we may be guided to live the kind of life He wants for us. God gave us a life like nothing else has life. When we read the Ten Commandments, some of us look at the commandments and say, Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. So much negativity in the commandments. So much control. The only reason God gives us the commandments is to guide us into a life that is the most fulfilling life in this earth. By giving us guidance... By guiding us into what is right and holy and, and, and fellowship and all that is good. He's giving us the opportunity when we walk by His, by His word, by His commandments. He gives us the opportunity to enjoy this life to the fullest. When we break the commandments, we break our own lives. We break our own joys and we bring destruction and sorrow and shame and fear and all sorts of things into our lives. God gives His Word in order for us to have guidance. To live to the fullest the life that He created in us. And we do well to be guided by our God. He gives life and He judges ultimately at the end. How we live that life. So we know about God. That he's a guiding God. About Jesus Christ we know so much. Because we talk about Jesus all the time. We say that Jesus Christ is incarnate. That the divine son of God. That lived in glory from eternity. At the appointed time came. And took the form of humans. He became man. We celebrate that always on Christmas Day. God becomes flesh. And we know him as Jesus. We also know of Jesus. We know of his miracles. We know of his healing. We know of his teaching. And we know of the many examples that he gave us on how to deal with things in this life. Of Jesus, we know that he was a servant leader. You know, Jesus said, in the world people lord over you. I come, I the Lord of heaven and earth, have come to show you the humility with which we ought to live in this world. He was the classic servant leader that should be the model for all of us. Of how to lead, how to live, and how to relate for what, with one another. A servant, humble leader and Lord. Of Jesus we also know that he died and rose again. I don't need to elaborate on that. We know that Jesus died for us. And we know that he rose again for us. We also know that Jesus ascended to heaven and we all live with the expectation of His coming back. Amen? We live with the expectation that one day, be in in our life or be in after we were died, 
the Lord is coming back. In fact, uh, one that read today uh, a vision of heaven that John gives us. A vision of the church in heaven. A vision of worship in the heavenly realms. And that will only be possible because of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we will enter the throne room of God. And we will see these things that John only had a glimpse of. Because of the return of Jesus. Last week, uh, I had the opportunity to preach to you on the Holy Spirit. And some of the things we've said about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit transforms that the Holy Spirit is a sanctifier. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, He doesn't just come beside you. He doesn't just come above you. He doesn't come and join you and walks with you. The Holy Spirit moves into you. Moves inside. Lives in you. The Holy, Holy, Holy Spirit moves into you and you are transformed. Sanctification begins. Changes begin to occur in your life almost without you noticing because the Holy has moved into your life and it begins to, uh, to explode and it begins to change and it begins to make you conscious of sin in the past that you didn't care about. Now all of a sudden you care because you fall in love with God and you want to please Him in everything and you begin to see change and sanctification and holiness coming all over your life. The work of the Holy Spirit is to transform us. To transform us from where we've been to where He wants us to be. The work of the Holy Spirit is to empower. To empower for ministry. And we can talk about the gifts of the Spirit. We can talk about the fruit of the Spirit. We can talk about the charismatic gifts. We can talk about the ministry gifts. But all of the gifts are to empower the believers to do the work of the kingdom. To do the work of the kingdom on this earth. And to show the world the might and the power of God. The presence of God and the existence of God. By the work of the church and through the church and by the church. That's the reason for the empowerment. And lastly, we know that the Holy Spirit does the work of illumination. We don't talk too much about that. But let me tell you, when we read Scripture and the Spirit of God illumines the Word of God, then we begin to see things that we would never seen before. And not just in the written Word, in our understanding, things begin to change even in our minds. There is an illumination. The same Holy Spirit that inspired the Word of God in the Apostles is the same Holy Spirit that can help us understand what He caused to be written. So when we read the Word, we ask God, give us the illumination of your Spirit. And our eyes will be opened. To the things of God with new clarity. With new clarity. And we will see many things that we never saw before. And our heart would be blessed. And we will be continuing the transformation. See, we know these things. 
about these three persons. But what do we know about the Trinity? Well, I told you that the word Trinity is not in the Bible. So how do we understand the Trinity? First of all, let me say this. The only reason we have come to the understanding of the Trinity is because it is the only explanation that gives full acknowledgement to all of the Scriptures. Let me give you an example. We know, because it is important we know, that the Jewish people had received from God a word that became very, very important to them. So important that it had to be memorized and taught to their children and put over their foreheads and, and put in, in their houses in places. It's called the Shema. The Shema was the classic statement of faith of the Jewish people. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4. The Shema said this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And there is no other besides me, God would say in other places. And you will have no other God but me. And you will not create graven image, nor will you worship anyone else. What does that mean? The Lord your God, the Lord is one. Well, it means what it says. He is one. And He is unique in that respect. There is no other like our God. And so we cannot, we cannot... Throw away one part of Scripture to accent another one. We must take the whole of the revelation of God, and it begins with the idea that God is one. But then when we go to the New Testament, and we go to John chapter 1, we read, In the beginning was the Word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And later on in verse 12 or 14, it says, And the Word became flesh. So we know that John is referring to Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So... Clearly, Jesus is God. And then Paul later writing in 2 Corinthians, he says of the Holy Spirit, he says, now the Lord is the Spirit. The Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. The Lord is the Spirit. In other words, the Spirit is the Lord. 
So here we have a glimpse of the divinity of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' words in John is that he would send the Spirit of God. So what do we have? By the revelation of God, there is one God. But also by the revelation, we have God the Father, we have Jesus as God, and we have the Holy Spirit as God. So what do we have? Three gods? We can't. The revelation of God is three individual persons, but one God. One God. So how do we explain that? Well, the early church, because of attacks on its faith, had to come up with an explanation which is what's called the Trinity. And here's the... Here's what you need to believe about the Trinity or know about God. God is one in substance. You see, the problem that I've always had in the past is that when I think of God, I want to give Him arms and legs and a head and a big beard and sit Him in a big throne. And, and for us to think of a body with three bodies, that was crazy. But see, the problem is with me, not with God. Because God does not have form. We may speak of God as having arms and speaking and walking in the garden. And his heart and his eyes and his hands. But that's only ways of speaking about God so the humans can relate. But God does not have form. That's why you cannot create an image or a statue. Because you, what are you going to make him look like? When he doesn't have form. God in divinity is what we call an essence. He is the divine essence. And this is my best explanation to you so that you understand it. It's what I would call in my human language, DNA. I think of the divinity of God as God's DNA. His being. What makes Him divine, what makes Him eternal, what makes Him God. And within that essence of God, there are three individual persons who share the same DNA, the same divinity, the same substance, the same godliness, the same godness. They share that with one another. Let me give you an example. Jim, come on over, please. Helen, can I use your moment? Come here. Here we have, let's say that you're not humans. Only the three of us exist. We share one essence, don't we? Humanity. It doesn't matter that she's a woman. It doesn't matter that she's African-American. It doesn't matter that I'm Latino. It doesn't matter that Jim is taller than I am. None of that matters. We share one and the same DNA. We are humans. And yet the three of us are completely different one from another. Right? That's the same 
how I see it and how I can explain. Thank you so much. The Godhead, the Trinity, sharing the same as I share humanity with them. God shares His divinity, His essence, His being. What makes Him God, it is shared equally with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But the three of them are different from each other. When Jesus prays, He's not praying to Himself. He's praying to His Father in heaven. When Jesus send, says, I ascend and I will send the Holy Spirit, He's not saying, I'm going up in one form and coming back in another. No. He is in heaven at the right hand of the Father and the Holy Spirit is here and now. Three different persons. Three different individual persons. Each with its own characteristics, but all three of them from eternity share the same divine substance, the same divine essence. Are you with me? That's how the revelation of God can make sense. So that we believe in one undivided God that is in three persons from eternity and unto eternity. Now, I have heard people at times say something like, well, when Jesus was in the form of, and God is in the different form, and this and that, please don't ever say that God changes forms. That one moment He appears as the Father, then He changes forms as the Son, and another time He becomes the Holy Spirit. Our God is not a changing God. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If God is a changing God, then we can't trust Him. Our God is always who He is. The Holy God that created the world from the beginning. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that share the same identity, the same substance, the same divinity, and yet each of them are three persons within that big God, within that God that we understand. It's the only way that the church has come to understand the full revelation of God. Without destroying one passage to affirm another. But taking the form, the full revelation that God is one and yet Jesus is God and the Holy Spirit is God. That is the doctrine of the Trinity. That is the teaching and the revelation of the Trinity. And unless we believe and receive God in all three persons, we are not truly part of the Catholic universal church of Jesus Christ. Because that is the revelation of God. And it's the only way to comprehend it in our inability to really comprehend the totality. Because I have to tell you, as I said from the beginning, who God is is still a mystery because He's only revealed what He wanted us to know. There's so much about God that we cannot receive now and perhaps may never be able to receive it because we'll never be gods, so we'll never be able to identify fully. He is beyond our understanding and that's what makes Him God. 
and makes me makes me man, makes me creature. He is God, triune God. I created a little diagram up here. It's a equilateral triangle, which means that all three sides are the same. And all three angles are the same. Because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are the same. They're the same. They are one God. But then in the circle around it, the Son is not the Father. The Father is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Son. They are different and individual. And yet in God, in the Godhead or in the Godness, or in the divine essence, they are the same. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Within them there is a hierarchy. But as far as we're concerned, we worship them the same. We honor them the same. We bow down to them the same. And we obey to them the same. They are one God in three different persons. Not three different manifestations, not three different forms, not three different modes, because that is heretical. That's a heresy. And I don't ever want to hear any believer say things like that, because that is untrue of our God. God is a trinity of persons and a unity of essence. A unity of being. Make sense? As best as I can, that's the best I can do. That's the best that I can do to explain to you what I understand, what I believe, and in whom I trust. A divine, holy God from eternity to eternity in one God in three different persons. And yet when they work on our lives, they don't work without the other. They always work together. Because when all things were created, the Son and the Spirit were in the creation. When Jesus redeemed us, the Spirit was present and so was the Father. He's always with us as one God in three persons. And we believe that and affirm that as the faith of the church. Make sense? If you still have questions and you want to meet with me, I'd love to explain it to you even farther if I can or show you passages of Scripture that would show you the divinity of, of all of the persons of the Trinity. I pray God blesses you today as we bring together a whole year worth of teaching into Trinity Sunday that we may understand in our inability to understand a mystery that is greater than us, and yet we're invited into that mystery to know God the best we can. Stand with me, please.